What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to the Power Company Podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I'm in Lander, Wyoming, where we just got dumped on with snow, which actually is perfectly fine by me because I'm right in the midst of a quick training cycle prior to a climbing trip. So snow's not bothering me right now. I've got the gym. I've got my kettlebells. All good. One quick note before we jump into this thing today, if you happen to be preparing for a spring trip to the Red River Gorge or anywhere that happens to be that same type of big hold, long, pumpy roots, then we've got a program that is just about to start running. Start date will be January 17th. It is Red River Pump Prep with Drew Mack. It's a group training program uh, that I helped Drew to write specifically for the red Uh, you'll be in a group chat with drew as well as direct messaging with drew and two zoom calls with the whole group uh, as well as drew and i and that's going to run for eight weeks starting january 17th there's a link right there in your show notes or you can go to powercompanyclimbing.com slash pump prep all one word and get registered it's limited spots so if you're interested hurry over there Today's guest is a giant of the climbing coaching and training world, and he's making big moves to bring together cultures that frankly has me more excited about the future of climbing than maybe any other thing of the past decade or more. Amon Anderson is the owner of Beast Fingers Climbing, which not only makes training tools, but is a a gym, a team and the main force behind the Beast Fingers Loud Climbing Combine. We sat down in his gym in Denver to discuss all of it. Let's get into it. Yeah, I started Beast Fingers initially for the purpose of working with youth that have struggles. Not just being poor or poverty, but you could be high class and have struggles too. your soccer background that made you get excited about training and you know trying to become a good climber you know it was um my triathlon background Mm. because after i uh left high school and went to college i stopped playing soccer and then when i um finally got my first job i was like i got to do something with my life i just can't work eight hours a day and go home and go to sleep like everybody else. So I didn't, I thought about doing like intramural soccer, but I was just like, man, I'm too old. So then I um, got into triathlon and it's good transfer over uh, to high endurance sport. Mm -hmm. 
And the discipline I chose was sprint distance because I just don't have the patience for Ironman. Yeah. So, so it was just like the race starts, you hear the gun go off, and it's just red line the whole time. Hmm. And I, I just love that. Um, I love training for that type of sport. Uh, it was a tri sport. So it's yeah. climbing. I'm not thinking about climbing, combine, co- combined climbing. Well, <laughs> but it was, uh, it's swimming, you know, uh, running and cycling. So yeah. training for each discipline is, I think, that's where I kind of got my training ethos from for climbing. It's interesting that triathlon is one of the few adult sports that has like a worldwide community yeah where you can go anywhere and kind of identify with other triathletes yeah they've done it really well and the thing about crossfit and yeah there are a few other most of them are sort of fitness sports Mm -hmm. they're just like your your training is what you're doing when you're doing the sport essentially Yeah. yeah um triathlon is a little bit different in that you're you're racing it's this right you know it's a young sport too yeah started in hawaii um just three hipsters were just like <laughs> i bet i could beat you in swimming and he was like i bet i could beat you in running and then i said i bet i could beat you in cycling so it's like if it, it feels it feels like that that old school climbing feel you mm-hmm. know just these and then they just turned it into a whole sport, like in Kona. And uh, now it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. You I know? mean, that's one of the things that draws me to climbing and I think draws a lot of adults to climbing is that you can be an adult, still be part of this yeah. active yeah. athletic community. For a while. Um, yeah, while. for as long as you want to, really, you know? Yeah, that's true. And that's hard to come by if you're like a, a normal, normal in air quotes, athlete in high school or something. Mm-hmm. If you're, it's harder to find a, a pickup basketball league. Or football. You know, or f- yeah. yeah. Is there a football league for people over 60? Oh, no, I, don't I don't even know. think so. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't play in it. Me neither. Yeah, but, it's true. Climbing, it's like I was telling you earlier, climbing is one of those sports. We haven't even fully utilized what climbing could do for the world. Probably even we haven't even tapped twenty percent mm. what climbing could do for the world, and that's what amazes me about climbing is that there's so much potential for the middle class and the lower class. One of the things I admire about you a lot is that you you have these big ideas. Um, they're realistic ideas, but they're big ideas that haven't been explored <laughs> right. much. <laughs> I've always been a dreamer. And <laughs> and I think that's what, you know, you're just sitting there off the cuff and being like, we haven't even explored how climbing can change the world. And Yeah, yeah. And you have to be thinking a little outside of the box to even make that statement, I think. Well, I think, too, being a black young man growing up in a low-income neighborhood, uh, all black neighborhood, all black schools, everything around me was all black uh and you grow up in that environment for long enough it changes the way you see how the world could work Hmm. um and i mean that conversation has been studied by clinical therapists for years is how 
black men see the world versus how white men sees the world. Right. And how they navigate different things, uh, whether it's the justice system or uh, career, school, um, the streets, mm -hmm. uh, dealing with, you know, uh, the issues of not having enough money to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And I mean, and that's not a, just a black struggle. That's a, anyone in the low class struggles with that. Right. Some aspects of that. Some aspects. Extend, extend toward, extend, yeah. you know, any poor person. Any or poor lower person. Class person. Yeah. yeah. You know, all the poor people listen to Eminem. <laughs> no matter it's what true. color you are. It's true. It's, it's funny. Every time I follow this Instagram account, and of course, this is some hood shit, but uh, my mixtapes, they always post who's the GOAT, and they'll put like Eminem in the middle, and then they'll put Tupac, and then they'll put Biggie, you know. Yeah. And then all the comments, you know, because they'll just Why show. Why is Eminem in the middle? Yeah, Eminem is like <laughs> up top, and all the comments are like, yo, man, this is bullshit, you know, blah, blah, blah. Nobody in the hood listen to Eminem. And it's funny because some smart person will just be like, Look, everybody, Eminem sold to everybody. His yeah. music reached the whole world. You so know, it's hard to beat that man in sales. You know what's funny? <laughs> I was on the way over here. I was listening to uh, just a Kendrick playlist. Yeah. And the Big Sean song, Control, came on with the Kendrick verse oh, that kind of yeah, made the whole yeah. rap game go crazy. Yeah. And in it, he kind of lists his top few rappers that he feels like he's in the class with now yeah and one of them was eminem and yeah. i was like oh yeah wow. reaching you know? to everybody yeah yeah it's true and i mean that's in a nutshell what climbing should become mm. honestly uh and i think that's why i do think the way i think you know as you mentioned you know big pictures because of just my perspective on how i see the world mm -hmm. it's like you know, a lot of brands or, you know, um, or marketers would be like, oh, climbing is a small industry compared to like football or soccer. I'm like, yeah, it's small because it only is marketed to a certain group of people. Right. Not necessarily white people, mm -hmm. but to a higher class of people. Yeah. Median salary, like 60 and up or 80 and up. Yeah. So everyone that makes $60,000 and less is not rock climbing. And that crosses all barriers of race. That crosses classes. Yeah. Low class, middle class. Yeah. Too busy to be thinking about rock climbing. I feel really lucky to have started climbing when I did. Yeah. In a gym because it was still the days of, oh, why don't you just sweep the floors and then you don't have to pay a membership. Right, right, you know? right, right. Or I never would have been a climber because yeah. I couldn't afford to go to a gym now. Yeah. I mean, and that's the crazy thing is that the conversations on DEI as of recent are all talking about how to diversify the sport. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, we got to, you know, uh, change our marketing or put more black people and more Latinos in the, in the ads and things like that. That's not growing the sport. It's nice to see an ad and see someone that looks like me, but no one where I grew up is seeing that ad. <laughs> right. There have to be kids <laughs> right. in the sport to be able to see to the even ad see for that. it to have its right. benefit. Yeah. yeah. So it's like all their efforts to grow this sport through DEI are 
are so, I mean, they're just, I don't even know what the word to use. Like, it, it just feels very ineffective. Mm. And there's better ways to do it. Um, and I don't want to criticize people who are doing work out there. I mean, there's a lot of great groups. Yeah, it's got to like, be a multi-pronged approach Yeah, to some it, it is, you know. And there's groups out there that are taking kids to, you know, um, the crag and, you know, a lot of these. Um, Gyms like Memphis Rocks. Yeah, Memphis Rocks. You know, all that stuff is good and I think it helps. But um, we got to use the Eminem approach. <laughs> Eminem came from the bottom. He came straight from the mud. And he knew exactly how people that grew up like him needed to be reached. Mm. Eminem didn't make music for white people. He made music for the streets. Right. But because he was white, that gave him bigger sales. Because mm -hmm. now white people have a connection to the hip-hop industry mm -hmm. through someone who was a great rapper who was just making music for the streets. That was it. And I think the thing about Eminem when we're talking about this topic of DEI is that he didn't have to be a white man. It just had to be, it just had to be a man who's experienced all classes of the American life. Not just the American life, but anywhere in the world where there's a three-class system, low, middle, high. He went through each stage, mm -hmm. which allowed him to change not only his message, but also adapt to so many groups of people because he understood them. Yeah. I think the thing about the people that are in these DEI discussions is they don't know what it's like to grow up in the hood. Right. They don't know what it's like to come home and your mom is working three-hour shifts uh, with multiple jobs because no one will give her an eight-hour job. Yep. Uh, she's working night shift, day shift, uh, mid shift, weekends. Who's going to take her kid rock climbing? You see what I'm saying? So it's just like. Yeah, it doesn't work to just have a program at your gym where yeah. somebody can show up and pay what they can right. or whatever right. or have a scholarship of uh -huh. some sort because somebody's still got to drive that. Someone's got to drive that kid. Kid there. Yeah. And those parents are working. So. Mm -hmm. And then they don't quite understand get, it too. Right. They think it's dangerous. So it takes a lot. Like I have, you know, I have black kids on my team and I have to talk with the parents about what rock climbing is. Because mm -hmm. they're like, this is dangerous. You can get killed. I just have to break it down. Like the safety and the crash pads and how it works and how the gym works, you know, so that they can just allow their kid to even do this. Yeah, you know? one of my one of my friends from high school, I, I took him climbing several times after I started climbing. We worked at a pizza place together after high school. Yeah. And we were talking about the the danger of climbing and he's like I grew up in enough danger. I, I don't right. need to subject myself exactly. to it artificially. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's true. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, growing up in those type of environments, every every day is danger. Mm -hmm. Walking down the street, man, I mean, even in my little town in West Orange County, pit bulls roam the street. Mm -hmm. And then you go to D.C. or Boulder, and every family has a pit bull. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? I remember when I first moved to D.C., and I saw this lady 
walking around with a pit bull. It's a white lady. And I just looked at her and I looked at the dog. And I had never experienced anything like that before. Because, I mean, when you grow up in an all-black neighborhood, that's all you know. Right. You know what pit bulls do in the hood. Yeah. You know what they're used <clears throat> for. So you go to D.C. and it's all gentrified. Hey, she's like walking around with a pit bull. And I look at her and I'm just like, there's no way. Yep. <laughs> I'm petting your dog. I know. But I think, you know, and I'm sure, you know, all the dog people, if they're listening to this, you know, I have nothing bad to say about pit bulls. But it's just where I grew up. Where I grew up, pit bulls are scary and dangerous. Yeah, and that's <laughs> how they were trained and raised. Yeah, you yeah. Know, th- there were dog fights in my neighborhood. Yeah. And I have yep. a very distinct memory of my mom having a yard sale when I was 13 or something, yeah. 14. Yeah. And the neighbor's pit bull got over into the yard oh, sale and cornered goodness. this little girl. Yeah. And was growling at her. And I, you know not trying to offend any animal lovers here, but I picked up a folding chair and hit the pit bull with it because it was going to destroy this little girl. Oh, you know, my, my mom, it's what it was bred to do. My mom was attacked by a pit bull. So I, I mean, I fully resonate with what you're saying. Yeah. Just because, and I think it's where, where we grew up, like where you grew up, where I grew up, it's just, my mom walks around with a stick because mm-hmm. she's been attacked by pit bulls. Right. And no other dogs, no chihuahuas or rottweilers. I mean, none of those dogs have been an issue. Right. So it was just, that was just my issue. Uh, so you're looking to live your life in a more comfortable way instead of just subjecting yourself to more and more danger. Exactly. Outside yeah. of the neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. You know? I mean, we're, so that you talk about rock climbing. Oh, yeah. Rock climbing is not as dangerous as being in a room full of, (laughs) well, hood pit bulls. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like, (laughs) and I assume you do, but let's talk about how that the Beast Fingers team and this gym is a step in the direction that you think things should go. I saw that your kids nicknamed it Bifty, right? Bifty, yeah. Bifty, Bifty, yeah. Beast Fingers Training Institute. Um, yeah, I started Beast Fingers initially for the purpose and goal of working with youth that have struggles. Not just, you know, struggles with being poor and poverty, but you could be high class and have struggles too. Anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. all those things plague every human on earth. Um, I think the thing about Beast Fingers is, and I think this is something besides me, and I've had to come to grips with this as well, is that the Beast Fingers brand affects people in ways that I don't even know how. In research, in climbing, uh, with our climbing team. Um, and I... Some people say it's me and my style. I don't know. Maybe it could be. But I think separate from me, I think Beast Fingers does something uh, to people. It pushes them to overcome their fears outside of just climbing. Just based on what I hear from parents that talk to me about their kid, they're experiencing greater confidence or, you know, um, you know, um, better uh trust you know in school and relationships and 
Um, and I think it's because when I look at the sport of climbing and I look at a young person, I'm looking at more than just the climbing. Um, because once you solve all the issues that are going on in the kid's life, then they can focus on climbing. Mm. Some kids have walked into this space thinking about stress in their lives and their parents' lives and it messes with their climbing. And of course, you know, research has shown that climbing helps with depression and all these things. But at the end of the day, uh, you also need someone that's going to be tactical with you and helping yeah. you process emotions and, and pains and, 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 you know, depressive thoughts or whatever it is. And then you can get into the climbing and then help them unlock their full potential. Yeah. And you know, you, when, when I got here, you had a couple of parents and a few kids in here and, and you made a comment about, you know, we're doing these, you know, biofeedback yeah. exercises. And then, you know, sometimes I have to remind them when they get on the wall, they have to breathe like they did in this exercise. Yes. And having yeah. somebody to help draw those connections between this is your real life issue that you're struggling with. This is your climbing issue that you're struggling with. Yeah. We can overcome these things in similar ways. Right. You know, right. That's really important to have. Yeah. Yeah. Climbing is a great vehicle uh, to help people improve their quality of life. Um, along with people who care about you too, people who love you. Um, when you put the two together, uh, I think that's where you get bifty. <laughs> <laughs> that's what bifty is. You put two together, yeah. Because what I realize is that a strong kid is only going to be strong when they're mentally prepared to allow themselves to be strong. Hmm. Because I've seen so many athletes come through this gym who have strength and mentally won't allow their bodies to do what it can do you know and yeah. it's thoughts that race to the mind it's thinking that i'm not good enough it's self-confidence it's all these things that creep into the head to keep them from doing that particular move or whatever it is or even at 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 a divisional championships or regional championships or even nationals um the same things that plague them here in this space plagues them there yep um where you have this kid with amazing talent and then they just shut down uh and that's in all sports, you yeah. know, but I think that there's something to be said about kids who are coming from environments that uh, are already maybe possibly dysfunctional and then expecting them to get on the wall and do something great. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot to expect from a person. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, we hear this phrase all the time, climbers talking about how they use climbing as their escape, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And I know that's a, a bit of a a loaded word when it's when the question becomes, well, what how much do you actually have to escape? And right. then then can these other people use it as an escape? Can yeah. it be an effective escape? Yeah. And the environment that they walk into at least does a little bit to dictate whether it can be or can't be an escape for that person. Mm. You know, how much they can use it to that end. It's true. Yeah. And certainly if they're in a place that understands their life outside of the gym, then it's going to be easier to escape a little bit inside yes. of here. Yes. You know? 
yes, and I, learn to do it here and then take it outside or take it to a comp or take it to another gym exactly wherever they end up i completely agree <clears throat> or take it to an oscar-winning film <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's true because me and a buddy were joking about that we're like you know these climbers get on television or real rock or whatever it is and say oh climbing makes me so peaceful and this and that and i climb to escape and blah 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 and uh and we were joking like, man, you can't take that to the hood. <laughs> <laughs> like, man, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> you know, so it's just like, it's it's funny because, and as we were talking about earlier, it's the narrative has has to change the way we push, bring, or bring climbing into the communities that are underserved that don't have climbing. Yeah. Uh, uh, of course, Marshawn Lynch is going to say that when he gets the ball and he's running, he goes into this zone and he feels peace and happiness and all these things. But working up to becoming Marshawn Lynch, there was no peace. Right, exactly. <laughs> every time he ran, it wasn't because of peace. Right. He didn't, he didn't find peace in running right, every right. single time in his life, you know? <laughs> yeah, and it's like getting them to that point where they can climb and start to feel those feelings. Yeah. They're not there yet, you know? When they're first starting out, they're anxious, they're popping flappers, it's painful, the shoes hurt. They're scared. They're two feet off the ground. You know, all these things are going through their head. There's no way this kid's going to feel the way that person's feeling on TV right now. Right. And I've talked to a lot of adults who have a similar situation. They don't feel like they're in a, a group of all white people at a gym. They really enjoy climbing, but now they're in this place that's all white and they don't feel super comfortable yeah. or yeah. they don't feel like they can be themselves. Yeah. And, you know, it's true. It's yeah. it's a place that then creates anxiety instead of. I've had people helping tell me to relieve that. it, and I've experienced it myself. I'll walk into a gym. I won't say any names, but I'll walk into a gym, and I'm just feeling anxious. Yeah, I don't feel it now. I think it's been a while since I felt that, but I remember when I first started climbing uh, in DC at Earth Tracks Rockville. Mm -hmm. I never felt that. That gym had something special. This was before they built Golden and Inglewood and all these other gyms. Yeah. But there was something special about the Rockville community in D.C. And I think it's because D.C. has such a wide socioeconomic uh, variety yeah. of people from all races, colors, uh, and, and, and financial uh, security. Mm -hmm. uh, there's financial instability in DC and these people are going to Rockville. They're scrubbing up cash and getting into that space. Yeah. Um, and, and that's part of why you're here today. Yeah, because of Earth If you Tracks, walked Rockville. into a gym that wasn't <laughs> super welcoming, would you have continued no, doing it? No, not at all. You know? And, and the, the thing about Rockville is it's so close to everyone mm -hmm. that the faces that you see inside that gym were from every country on the planet. Yeah. And that resonated with me. Um, you know, I come out here to Colorado and it's not the same, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I have nothing to say about Earth Tracks El Cap, what, you know, the new model that they have now. But I will say that that experience from that gym is what made Beast Fingers Climbing. Hmm. Because um, when I got first exposed to climbing, I didn't realize that there were like mega gyms. Yeah. Like I climbed in this little YMCA with anchors hanging in the ceiling. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm like, this is cool. You know what I mean? And then I go to DC and I step foot in Rockville and I felt like I was in Disney World. I was like, what is this place? This Mm -hmm. is so cool. So I had to get my buddies. I went back, um, got some buddies, brought them in and uh, some of my, my homies. And they were just like, man, this is cool, dog. You know, it was like, man, I'm climbing the wall. You know, this is like some special, you know what I'm saying? Um, but because I was showing them, you know, right. and I and I resonate with the experiences of the black struggle. And, you know, it wasn't like, you know, because in the black community, there are black people who have never experienced what it's like to be low class or middle class. You have yeah. some that just experience high class and that exists, sure. especially in Maryland. Mm. Maryland is one of the highest paid African-Americans in the country. Mm. So you will have people in D.C. in Maryland who are black who will try and connect with or try not to get connected to people from some of the bad parts of D.C. Sure. So I felt like I was able to kind of bridge the gap for a lot of because, you know, coming to D.C. from Florida, you know, yeah, I had this great job that paid me really well, but I also can talk and I can, you know, right. speak my uh, uh, my African-American vernacular with my people <laughs> yeah. and be like, yo, bro, we got a rock climb. You got to check this thing out. Word. All right, bet. Let's do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it, it, it was it was a different experience. And um, it's it's kind of like something I remember Gucci Mane saying. I remember he was in an interview and then this uh, interview, the radio interviewer asked Gucci Mane. He says, Gucci Mane, uh, did you listen to Eminem growing up? And he was like, Eminem don't sound like me, so I don't mm. listen to Eminem. Mm-hmm. And it's not that Gucci was saying <laughs> anything bad about Eminem. Right, right. It's just that... Not speaking my language. Yeah, and Eminem knew that language, but Gucci Mane speak that Southern drawl. Yeah, yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he resonated with the folk who spoke Southern drawl, you know, and that yeah. Southern, you know, deep, you know. Yeah, uh, and, I, you know, I think that's part of the where representation is helpful if there are people to see yeah. the representation. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. No, it's true. Like yeah. Gucci Mane is listening for Scarface or somebody else who, you know, speaks in a heavy Southern draw right. who's a rapper. Right. They're right. going to look up to that person. Exactly. Because they can see themselves in them, Uh-huh. you know. It's true. You I'd also like, like to point out that that's, Surely the first time Gucci Mane has ever been quoted on this podcast. So <laughs> I, just wanna, up? I just want to point that out. Um, Burr. Yeah, and I, I just think it's Im- it's important to have all those layers in place. Yeah. To some degree. No, it's true. Yeah. I mean, even in my space, uh, I have one kid, he'll walk up to Alexa. And be like, <laughs> make sure Alexa doesn't hear you. Make talking. sure Alexa doesn't hear me. <laughs> Alexa, play little baby. <laughs> That's when I have to walk over to Alexa and be like, Alexa, explicit filter on. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what he wants to listen to. This kid's yeah. like nine years old. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm not going to play, you know, Daft Punk or R.O. Grime. I mean, I like those guys. It's mm-hmm. house, you know, it's good music. But this kid wants to listen to Lil Baby, so let's just play some Lil Baby. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
No. And then I know that kid's something different if you put on Young Dolph. Like, okay, <laughs> I need to talk to your parents. <laughs> we need you to should have not know Young Dolph. <laughs> but yeah, it, it helps. You know, like I was telling you, when I first opened this space, the first thing I installed was speakers mm-hmm. and two subs, mm-hmm. you know. Um, because, I mean, as you know, you know, even f- where you grew up, music is passion. Yeah. You know, music, the bass, it drives you, it fuels you, you know. Mm-hmm. You feel that thump and it pushes you to that next move. You yeah. Know? Just recently in a podcast episode, actually, I don't even remember who I was talking to in that episode, but we were talking about gems playing like sad emo <laughs> music. Yeah. And- I can't climb when I that music no is on. I'm just going to stand there and look around like, but what's happening Dude, right now? especially for sport climbing. I feel like sport climbing is the most savage sport in the world. Oh, my God. Like, if I went, if I went to the hood and said, hey, man, I'll give you $60,000 to climb this climb, they will figure out and climb it. Mm-hmm. And they will play some of the deepest bass trappiest music crunkest music on the planet <laughs> to climb that climb the sport climbing pulls it out of you yeah even training for sport climbing it's painful you know so that was one of the other reasons why i got these speakers you know training circuits or anything like that it gets into you man yeah and you know and, and it, you know look everyone has their their thing you know i got you know, remember who will walk in here and be like, hey, Alexa, play Metallica, you know, and turn it all the way up. So, hey, you know, if that gets you to do 10 more moves, play Metallica. Yeah. You know, I just uh, <laughs> last night in my hotel room, I was reading a book called Hip Hop and Other Things by Shay Serrano. He's oh, a yeah. Texas author. Yeah. And there's a chapter that's a list of 60 songs that you should start a fight to. Oh, my and God. And I, I, know, I have to yeah. make a playlist now yep. to play in the gym of these 60 songs. Yeah. You know, and, and of course the winner is MOP, Annie Up. You know, it has to be. 3-6 Mafia. Yeah, there's Young a Yang, bunch of 3-6 Mafia in there. There's a lot of crunk in there. <laughs> a lot of crunk. You know, Lil John. <clears throat> Lil John has started lots of bus fights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So last year, um, I don't summer last year is that right when you did the or was it this year this year it was winter this year yeah yeah the fall combine when you did the first beast fingers combine yes and there's some changes coming to it but let's talk about first the original idea for the combine and how that came about because you've got this this team these kids that you're mentoring you're Mm -hmm. helping to build their love of climbing and yep. their resiliency as humans yeah yeah where does the combine fit into that the combine uh man i i grew up watching nfl combine you know i loved i loved that before the season starts mm-hmm. for the nfl even the basketball combines a little newer but um it's just cool seeing some of the greatest athletes in the world the top one percent giving everything they got to get drafted or be top pick or be number one pick mm-hmm. and it's just cool like everyone remembers dk metcalf running a 40 yard yeah you know he didn't win well hopefully he's not listening to this he hasn't won a super bowl yet 
<laughs> but we will never forget that. Even if he retires, we'll never forget a 6'4 man running a 40-yard dash that fast. Mm-hmm. And I just think that from you know from a viewer perspective it's so exciting to watch like even like i was telling you with the people that were here there was one guy who just came from the gun range walks right into the combine and was just in awe of everything that was going on um and the 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 combine made climbing relatable because when you watch Mm. the olympics you see it like we have it up right now i think that's the ifsc world cup you watch it and they make it look so easy right that you can't tell at you all. You can't tell at all how hard that even is. Even climbers. Even yeah. a lot of climbers who've only been climbing for a couple of years don't have a sense of how oh, yeah. difficult a lot of those moves I mean, are. What you're talking about is like the, what Juliet went through. Right. Posting a V10 and walking all up it. Yeah. And people saying, that don't look like V10. Right. The girl has climbed multiple V10s, double digits outside. <laughs> She's making it look easy because she has a track record. Yeah. But... The average person doesn't know how hard that looks. Yeah. I mean, she just looks casual, face completely chill. I mean, even when you watch Natalia climb, she smiles the whole time. Right. But it's really hard. I mean, the, <laughs> the World Cup in Salt Lake, um, there was the men's problem that Sean Bailey eventually does the final move on. First oh, yeah. person to stick it. Yeah. Tomoa comes out, flashes the boulder. Yeah. It looked really easy when yeah. Tomoa did it. If yeah. that's the only footage you saw... Posted on Instagram. Oh, you would think it was like B0. Yeah, that, that was easy. I could, <laughs> I could do that, Dino. No problem. Well, you know? and I think that's what the combine does. It separates, it separates the elite from the amateur. Right. And you can see that separation before they start climbing. Because, like you just said, when Tomoa flashed that boulder... Oh, we, we could all say, oh, but the other guys made it look hard. Tomoa make, made it look easy, so maybe he's just the strongest. Mm. But if that's all you saw, you would never know. Right. But it's one thing to watch the combine, see Drew Wanna do a 29-second front lever and eight one-arm pull-ups and no one else. You know what a man's going to win. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So we can all see, obviously, that... You have to be strong to climb these boulders. Yeah. And it's just what it really comes down to. And I feel like the combine just makes that more relatable. Because everyone knows about the bench press. Everyone knows about a pull-up. And then when you do eight one-arm pull-ups, that's next level. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And then you do a 29-second front lever. That's even the greater next level. Yeah. So you don't have to explain an eight one-arm pull-up someone who doesn't know anything about climbing right that's, what, that's why it's so relatable they right. can walk over to a bar and they can try that they could try it yeah you know yeah but they could see that and just be like no i can't do that i can't even do a pull up yeah but i could watch and all you know it's funny because uh this is like some of the biggest complaints that women have with climbing is that they'll walk up like a v10 or v11 and this Big honcho dude's like, oh, I could do that. That looks easy. She made it look easy. He walks up to it and do the first move. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just because this girl just flew up the thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, people, even climbers don't understand how hard climbing is. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I hadn't thought about the combine as something relatable in the sense that everybody can try all the things these people are doing. Yeah. They can try it quite easily. And they can do some of it. 
You know, there's not yeah. a whole lot of technique needed. Mm-hmm. Um, they can try to hang from a bar one-armed and do a pull-up. Exactly. You know? Or they, even just do a pull-up. Yeah, and yeah. they can understand how difficult what that person just did was. Exactly. Whereas climbing, even if you're in the same space, even if you get to try to pull on the wall, there's all this, you know, well, this person's been doing it a long time and they've got mm-hmm. these special shoes. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you know. it's true. And it's funny that you mentioned that because Natalia, I remember she mentioned that she had never done any strength training and she got second in the strength evaluation. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just it's just amazing that you can have an athlete who's had a successful world career, hasn't had much experience with strength training, and still dominate the strength right. evaluation. She can express her strength in these yeah, ways. Yeah, she can express her strength in these ways. And that's, that's what the climbing combine does. It, it connects the unknown to the known hmm. to make it more palatable and relatable. Yeah. The changes that are coming, um, you just posted on Instagram oh, today. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, changing the branding and the name to Beast Fingers Loud. Beast Fingers Loud. And you explained it as a connection of, you know, this kind of, this grouping together of urban culture and climbing and sports science exactly and i was immediately like (laughs) mind blown this is amazing yeah but how many other people are going to get it that was my like second thought and then i thought maybe it doesn't matter how many people get it going in they're going to come in for one of those things yeah and then they're going to start to get the others when you mean get it, do you mean the competitors or the spectators? Like the the competitors, oh, other competitors. climbers oh, who are yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, I don't understand why it's why is there urban culture oh, involved in this? Right, you know? right, 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 right. But I think once they're here for the climbing, they'll get it. They'll get the energy. Yeah. Once the yeah. people who are here for the energy see yeah. the climbing in the combine, that's they'll it. get it. That's it. You know? And I mean that's <clears throat> that was the, the, the ultimate plan for Beast Fingers Loud is did you have that plan during the first combine did you know that's where you wanted to go i did i did i just did see big pictures i'm telling you yeah it's just that you know i've made a lot of mistakes in business and i think that one of the biggest mistakes that i've always made was talking or talking too big about an event before i proved the concept Mm. (laughs) so that's why i was it's like nah let me let me hold back but after the event I was like, man, this is it, man. This is, this is, this is it. People can get behind this. Just from the people that were walking by, just walking in. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, this is cool. You know? Um, and the music, it just pulled them. Because they, they know that song. It's almost like if I were to paint a picture of Gucci Mane on the front of my garage door gate, they're going to be like, I'm going to that gym just because Gucci Mane's on the front door. <laughs> I love it. So it's, it's. It's how do we make this appealing to our people? And when I mean our people, I do talk about, I am talking about black people. Sure. But I have to, I have to say 
that I can't leave out everyone else who experiences the lower middle class. Mm -hmm. They also relate to. Um, they walk in to the gym and they feel uncomfortable as well. And they're white. Yeah. Um, they wore the same thing they wore yesterday. They don't have all the fashion and the Lululemon and the Patagonia. They got their used shoes from the thrift store and they're trying to climb V1. They yeah. feel uncomfortable. And I want, I like the fact that I could take a person like that and turn them into a beast mm. <laughs> and then send that person back to that gym and everyone's just like, what? <laughs> and these are the types of reactions that people tell me. You know, they'll train here for a while and they feel a little gumby and then they go back to their old gym and they're just like, I'm cranking. And that's a good feeling for them. Yeah. But a lot of people are walking into the climbing gym and there's no space to educate. Even you were saying that, how sometimes you try and hold these clinics and it's just packed in right. ways that you don't want it to be packed. Right. Or the gym is so big that oh, yeah. it's so spread out. There's so spread no... Out no community feel to right. it you know right i've been in a lot of big mega gyms that just mm -hmm. feel like does anybody here even know each other yeah you know there there are a hundred people in here climbing right now but no one's talking to exactly. each other exactly and it, it takes a really special person i've seen a few uh, my friend sydney in houston does an amazing job of taking a mega gym and turning it into a community mm -hmm. but that's a rarity it's hard and i remember uh, who managed the 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 director who managed Earthtrex Rockville and um and Earthtrex Crystals not Crystal City I think it was Maryland Baltimore that location Seth uh that was his big thing his his big thing was creating culture mm. through the mega gym and I just hope that as we grow this sport you and I and everyone else who's involved and making this sport more palatable to those that, you know, don't know what it's like to experience what the affluent and the, the rich are experiencing when they climb. And when I mean rich, I don't mean making $100,000 a year. Right. I mean people who are financially secure, yeah. making 60 k a year by themselves, decent bills, right. and they can survive. I'm talking about the people who don't do that those people yeah those are the ones the people who coming to the gym might mean they have to forego something they have to sacrifice something whatever that is to get that membership yeah those are the people that benefit the most from community yeah and they thrive off of it i mean even in the hood like we all knew each other we all vibed off each other we all went into each other's front yard parties mm -hmm. you know that's the thing in the hood you know and uh you celebrate everything. Somebody just got out of jail. Oh, we throwing a party. Well, we got <laughs> you know, you just said front yard party. Right. That doesn't happen in the affluent neighborhoods. No. It's a backyard gated yeah, party. Private. Yeah, private. They're trying yeah, to yeah. keep it quiet so nobody else <laughs> right. hears. In, in the lower class communities, it's out in the street. It's, you know. Oh, it's, it's a block party. cul-de-sac. Oh, it's, yeah. You know. Yeah. It's everybody That's is community. coming. Yeah. And, and, and I hope that if anyone that owns a mega gym is listening to this, that they strive to make that happen, strive to build that. Because mega gyms can work. Yeah. It's just that how do you create an environment that welcomes 
people in here from all classes. And that community is what is why I'm sitting here today. Yeah. Because of the community that was built in Rockville, Maryland, um, at EarthTrex. Uh, and I'm sure there's plenty of others who have similar stories to the gyms that they came out of. Um, People are going to have stories about this gym. Oh man. Like that. You know, <laughs> they've already started. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, and I could see it the second I walked in here with the, you know, the kids and parents that were here that there's, yeah. there's a relationship there. Yeah. They're not just customers sitting in the lobby waiting. Yeah, and it's crazy because the parents, because I've coached in the commercial space before. I coached at um, Longmont Climate Collective. I was there for maybe two years, I think, as a head coach. And it's just different here. The parents come inside. It's mm-hmm. not just a drop off. You know, they want to get involved. They want to see what's going on. Um, and if there's any youth coaches listening to this, take the time to connect to the parents. Um, that's how you keep the kids psyched. Uh, but then you can also bridge the connection and the gap between parent and child. A lot of times parents don't have the relationship that they wish they could have with their kid. Mm. And I think what we could do as coaches, just like in all sports, soccer and basketball, we're bridging the gap between parent and child. Mm. Um, it's not just a drop off. You're dropping your kid off and that kid's going to eventually change your life. Yeah. And I've had kids tell me stories like that, how they've helped their parents process stress better, work through emotions better. Like the mm. kids are doing that because of the lessons that we're teaching them here. Yeah. They're going they're going home and they're applying it in the home environment and then they don't apply it at the championship environment. <laughs> they're like they're like you got to breathe, you got to do this, you got to do that. And then they get out there in the actual competition and they're like ah. Um but that's what I want. And, and that's what I think I did for um, my family. Um, you know, uh, I, chose, I chose a different lifestyle um, just because my family is plagued with all the diseases of every, 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 every low-class family or black family or middle-class, even middle-class families struggle with obesity, coronary heart disease, um, depression, all these things plague these families. And when I think about the impact that it has on my family when I choose to eat less meat or, you know, um, you know, uh, exercising or doing things like that, it has impact on my family. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, that's something that I want to do. I want them to feel like they can too. You know, yeah, and it it occurs to me that like not only are you modeling it for all of these kids, but when you're giving them the tools to go home and help their family do something, you know, even yeah. if it's just saying the right thing to to help mom process some stressful day, yeah, that's that's creating a hell of a lot of buy-in from the kid, you know, because then they get, they get that feeling of I'm helpful. I'm useful. I'm teaching. I'm, I'm teaching mom how to do this. You know, I'm going to go back in and learn some more lessons. And then their friends Mm. and then 50. 
Oh, right. Yeah. It, and and <laughs> yeah. it's funny because I've had I've, kids are on the team now. You know, they'll talk to me and be like, man, when I first thought about joining this team, I was scared. I was like, why are you scared? They're like, well, because everyone's so good. I was mm. like, we have our off seasons. <laughs> we have our off, you know, years. You know, it's just like any other team. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to be afraid of. We're just a little regular climbing team. <laughs> but then we're not really regular. Right. <laughs> But they come here and it's a full experience of head to toe um, changes in your life, academically, physically, mentally, and in your family, uh, your social environment. You're going back home and you're talking to your friends about your experiences. Yeah. Not just climbing experiences, but just being able to process life better. Being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel is more important than me watching you climb V10. Mm-hmm. Understanding that you can handle stressful situations, you can handle thoughts of depression, you can handle this with resilience and be a human being. Um, and that goes beyond what uh, most programs are doing. Um, I feel like for me, even when I played soccer, our coaches didn't really do a lot of that. Um, we were just numbers on a field. But I think what really gave me my coaching ethos is my father. Because my father uh, coached baseball. Hmm. He played for the Negro Black League back in the 40s. And he played with Jackie Robinson and Willie Mays. Wow. And in the Black League for the MLB, it was just like, we're selecting the top of the crop. Yeah. So they pull out Willie Mays, they pull out Jackie. And there's so many other great baseball players that are that were in that league. Yeah. Which, which, which led to the desegregation of the sport mm-hmm. of MLB. And my dad experienced that. And he was a great baseball player. He still, it's, he's 89 years old and he still goes to the batting cage. Mm. He could still hit. Hell yeah. And it's amazing because he eventually did become a coach and it just testifies to the big heart that my dad has because my dad coached in my neighborhood before I was born all the kids coming from single parent homes with no money mom and dad maybe dad's in jail mom's holding down the fort with four jobs not even picking her kid up from baseball practice Mm -hmm. I remember my dad told me there was one time there were 10 kids in his living room because none of their parents came back after after they dropped them off for practice yeah and they were just sitting in there sleeping with their baseball uniforms on and he said that this will happen like every every week sometimes that's coaching yeah that's like taking this kid giving him an environment that allows him to thrive because the environment in his own home or her own home is killing them Mm. and that's so many kids right now today who could be the potential next Kai Leitner you know or Rustaf or whoever you know all these climbers uh that we see on tv have stories too like Kai's story Rustaf he's an Adidas athlete as well and 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 they I remember he told me a story when I was in France and he said to me that when he first started climbing (laughs) his mom was trying to keep him from the streets Mm. And, you know, in Russia with the mafia and all those things, it's crazy out there. Yeah. And 
she said that she found this climbing gym. I mean, he said that she found this climbing gym, put him in it, and then he had like shorts with holes in it, mm-hmm. you know, straight up poor kid. And I remember him telling me how he got so good at rock climbing, not because he wanted to be a great climber only, but because he wanted to take his family out of the slums. And he got with Red Bull, got sponsors, started winning competitions, got set up with Adidas, and he was able to have enough money to move his mom out of the slums Mm. and raise a family and have a kid. Yeah, That's what climbing is going to look like for the remaining 60% of climbers out there that are not climbing yet or even not even seen climbing yet. They're all poor or middle class. Yeah. That's the future Team USA right there. And I've always believed that Team USA is always composed of the greatest of the world, the top 1% of -hmm. the world are at the Olympic Games. And I don't think that we've fully tapped into what this earth has to offer for rock climbing. If we want to create, I mean, right now we have a strong Team USA, you know, very uh, uh, good um, variety of athletes, short, tall, um, you know, and uh, there's a little bit of diversity. We got Kai. <laughs> we had Megan Martin on there for a little bit. <laughs> Uh, and she crushed in her time when she was competing. Um, and, you know, now the discussions are starting of how do we use the training from DEI to create a Team USA that represents America. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think that's the next step for climbing. Yeah. Because yeah, when you I look mean, at all the other Team USAs, <clears throat> they represent the full spectrum of America. Yeah, you and I were just talking earlier that it wasn't that long ago that basketball was oh. all white, really oh, yeah. stiff. Stiff, no dunking, all layups. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think they bounced the ball. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think know. you carried it. It was just a leather ball or something. Yeah. And that wasn't that long ago. No, it was not. Yeah. You know, just and you look a, at it today, it's A dynamic. generation or two ago. Yeah. And today it's dynamic. It's fast. It's powerful. These yeah. guys are 6'4", 240 pounds in your face. I mean, yeah. it's thuggish out there. Yeah. And then you see Team USA. The most successful Team USA in the country and in the world is USA women's basketball and USA men's basketball. Mm-hmm. Won more gold medals than any other Team USA sport. Yeah. And... I remember when Michael Jordan and the Dream Team went, remember back in the day when they went to the Olympics Mm -hmm. and they were in complete awe because they had never left the country. Some of them had grown up so poor that the NBA created opportunities for them to see the world. Right. They're Olympians like Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James, Allen Iverson. They're Olympians. But when you see uh, Carmelo or Allen Iverson walking through the, uh, if you see him walking through the airport, uh, you're not going to expect that man to be an Olympian. Right. He, you know, he's got the do-rag. He's got the, the full urban swag. He's got the Air Force Ones. He's fully tricked out. Sauce from head to toe. Looks like a rapper. That man's a, an Olympian. He's a, yeah. I think he's a gold medalist because he was on Martin, um, Michael, J, uh, Michael Jordan's mm-hmm. team too. So the future of the sport for climbing 
we haven't even tapped that yet. Yeah. It's got a lot of room to grow. Oh, man. So much. And so much room. Barely even beginning. Yeah. Was well, there's like the last poll that they did, there's 9 million climbers in America. 24 yeah. million basketball players, even more for soccer. Yeah. Oh, we're like not even breaking 10%. I'm glad to see this thing coming coming into fruition at the same time as the beginning of climbing going through some big changes yeah i I don't think that's an accident no and i'm excited for it are there are there dates or anything yet for the The combine the first loud combine so we're still thinking through when to do it uh, because we have a lot of logistics that we're thinking you already said that you have a bad habit of dreaming too big talking about the event before it <laughs> happens so i'm not going to make you keep talking about it but i hate to say too much and then we get there and it's just as like... <laughs> details come out i'll i'll be putting them out yeah for people and, and i appreciate that and i think when you put that post out the last combine it definitely got people's sight good so and i appreciate that greatly if, if i can make it here i will absolutely be here for it Man, that'd be even awesome. though you don't have a master's category, <laughs> an old person category, <laughs> the master's category, I'll be here to watch. Man, I so. appreciate that, Chris. Really, yeah. dude, it's a it's big big honor coming from you for sure. Thank you for what yeah. you're doing. You're welcome, and thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate it. The best coaches understand more than just what muscle is the prime mover in some specific lift. They understand sports science, behavior, habits, motivation, and maybe most important, they understand struggle. Amon understands all of these things and more. And he thinks big. Personally, I'm a fan. One of my favorite things about having conversations with Amon, and I've seen him do this with other people, is that He'll say something, something he means, but he'll say it in a way that's put out there specifically to get a reaction from you. And you can tell it from the smile on his face, and I fucking love it. He did it to me a number of times in this conversation, and I'm looking forward to the next time. Since we had this conversation, there has been a date pinned down for the next BFL Climbing Combine. That's going to be April 9th, 2022 in Denver, Colorado. If you think you've got what it takes, or if you just want to be part of something groundbreaking, you can register right there at the links in the show notes in your pocket supercomputers. Or if you're a brand who wants to support the event or be a vendor, that link is right there in your show notes as well. Also in your show notes, I've linked to a video telling a little bit of Amon's story and the building of the Beast Fingers Gym. You should definitely check that video out. And if you happen to be headed to the Red, don't forget, Red River Pump Prep opens January 17th. Get in there now. There are only a handful of spots left. Get yours. All right, follow those links so that you can follow Amon and Beast Fingers as well as the BFL Combine on the Instagrams. You can find us there as well. Also on the Facebooks, the Pinterest, the YouTubes, all the damn places, except for the Twitter, because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles.